having a beer after a hard day's work once meant putting up with a six o'clock swill. The swill is not only unpleasant, it's also dangerous. Those who like beer, and surprisingly it's still legal to like it. South Australia joins all other states in abandoning the six o'clock swill. Welcome to the Six O'Clock Swill episode 52, which means we've been going for a whole year, or actually a bit longer than that, because we've just taken two weeks off. Tim, that's quite a, a milestone, I think, <laughs> and uh, people forgive us, I think, for having a two-week break while you moved house. That's right, they should forgive us. Yeah, that? They won't, though, because apparently the Conservatives are angry, my friend. There's, a, there's an anger in the community. Yeah, I felt it. I felt it at the CPAC conference, which I'll talk about in a minute, where I, I found myself getting heckled as if I was on the set of Q&A rather than a, a kind, calm gathering of rational conservatives. <laughs> Today, big tech goes to war against conservatives. We'll be talking about Jacinta Price getting banned from Facebook. Facebook apparently supports an Aboriginal voice to Parliament and is prepared, therefore, to ban an Aboriginal voice in Parliament from having a voice on Facebook, if you keep up with that, but that's lefty logic for you. <laughs> Tim, where should we start on this busy, busy, busy week? Let's go stateside just briefly, because there's been a terrible hurricane, well, a terribly named hurricane, Hurricane Ian, the crappiest hurricane name ever given. <laughs> Doesn't sound very scary, although Hurricane Ian did kill, I think, 70-odd people, so obviously a very deadly event. But uh, there's been problems in the wake of Ian. One is the problem for the left, who attempted to demonise Florida's Republican governor, Ron DeSantis. Now, you'll remember Hurricane Katrina. That was all George Bush's fault. <laughs> George W. Bush. He caused that, and they put, they attached it to him personally and made it a personal issue for him, being Republican. Of course, Louisiana, where Katrina hit, is long been controlled by Democrats, and uh, the city of New Orleans long controlled by Democrats. But they were given a free pass. Mm by national US media or international media, not so much in New Orleans where the former mayor is a demonised figure and rightly so for the incompetence of his handling of Katrina. But now we've, of course, had a hurricane in a conservative state while a Democrat is president. But the rules shift, don't they? Considerably, yeah. Yes. DeSantis found himself criticised for basically being a Republican in control of a disaster state. But he's done rather well since, rebuilding bridges and performing very impressively. In fact, Joe Biden, the president, co-appeared with DeSantis in Florida during the week. And for a time, DeSantis spoke from the presidential podium that had been set up for Biden. And a lot of people were saying how very appropriate that image looked. <laughs> so <laughs> might be a bit of a taste of things to come in a couple of years. But here's the issue. EVs, electric vehicles, everyone's favourite thing. This is supposed to be the cure. This is supposed to stop these hurricanes, isn't it? It's supposed to stop that fearsome Ian in his tracks, or his tracky-dacks. I think a, a hurricane called Ian would probably wear tracky-dacks if it was dressing up for the occasion. <laughs> Let me just read from a Fox News report. A top Florida state official warned Thursday that firefighters have battled a number of fires caused by electric vehicle batteries waterlogged from Hurricane Ian. <laughs> EV batteries that have been waterlogged in the wake of the hurricane are at risk of corrosion, which could lead to unexpected fires, according to Jimmy Petronas, the state's top financial officer and fire marshal. Two jobs. <laughs> There's a ton of EVs disabled from Ian, he said. As those batteries corrode, fires start. That's a challenge, a new challenge that their firefighters haven't faced before. 
at least on this kind of scale. <laughs> There's a lot of exploding batteries, Jim. Far too many. These things, when they blow up, they blow up. There's video here of, I think it looks like a Tesla that's uh, smouldering. But the hundreds of gallons of water every time one of these boys decides to light up. Florida's a wealthy state. A lot of people like their EVs. And now they're driving around in mobile water bombs. It's a handy thing to have parked by the barbecue, isn't it? Just in case you you need to get the thing lighted in a hurry. Just power up the Tesla. Off it goes. The, <laughs> it can burn for quite a while. I'm not sure you'd want to want to cook a snag over a lithium iron fire. You might have a little lingering aftertaste of bizarre <laughs> exotic metals and so on. It might not be all that healthy. It might, it might not be something... You can usually cure most barbecue mistakes with tomato sauce. Or chilli. You normally apply chilli, Tim. I only do that, Nick, when I'm feeding people chicken that's a little bit past the use-by date. And it generally covers... It masks most of the virus issues. But just down the road from me, happily quite a way down the road from me in my new rural abode, is an EV charging station. Yeah. And I'm happy that it's at some remove because you know, there's maybe some fire risk. But unhappily, it's in rather close proximity to a childcare centre. I'm not sure they really thought through that uh, that location. Anyway, we'll see how that all goes. <laughs> there used to be all these stories about a McDonald's was going to be opened within... 300 kilometres of a childcare centre and that was supposed to be a scandal but we should, maybe the same should apply to charging stations but we won't be able to make these jokes for too much longer Tim eventually the big tech's war on conservatives will get into this you've no doubt have heard Jacinda Ardern last week talking to the United Nations saying yeah. there should be some sort of international cooperation to shut down misinformation, as they like to call it, on Facebook. Yes. Misinformation being anything the left happens to disagree with. In this case, she singled yes. out climate change. Climate change is very dangerous, and to deny it is extremely dangerous, and all climate change denials should be shut down on social media. And I see that there's more evidence of this happening in the States, that a lot of people there are saying that big tech should take... The no case against climate change should be deplatformed, mm. just as the no case against COVID-19 vaccines were, and the no case against Jim, Joe Biden. But close to home, Tim, I was quite alarmed to see that in this very, what I thought was a, a serious constitutional debate we're about to have on whether to enshrine a voice, an Indigenous voice to Parliament, or First mm -hmm. Nations, I think we're supposed to say, voice to Parliament in the Constitution. Very serious constitutional debate. They only come along every 20 years or so. Corporate Australia has decided this is a branding exercise, not a, not a debate. So they're looking to get on board with this. And Facebook is now actively pushing off its, off its platform anybody who decides mm. to oppose this voice, including, bizarrely enough, Jacinta Price, Aboriginal woman from the Warpuri country that up there in, in Central Australia, who is being denied a voice on Facebook because she disagrees with a voice to Parliament when she's actually a voice in Parliament. And it's all very confusing, but tr deeply troubling, I think, Tim, if big tech is sharpening up its algorithms to to intervene in a what should be a domestic debate. I would have thought the Prime Minister should be up in arms telling them to butt out, don't you think? All this silencing's illustrative of the left's very short memory because... A couple of years ago, two and a half years ago, when the Chinese virus was launched, 
everyone on the many people on the left were very much for censorship just for health reasons we've got to, we've got to close down these people who say that uh, say that the virus is from a lab and so on and various other things and then of course everything turned around and it was like maybe we're a bit heavy-handed on the silencing and maybe we should have listened to these people because there was you know, a bit more to it than than we thought they lock into a position very early i.e you know on climate and so on and then don't move from it while reality does shift and when you've got the big tech guys, and Miranda's the one who's obviously the expert on this with Hunter Biden's laptop, I don't think too many people now think that laptop was some sort of Russian scam. Mm. You've got the Washington Post, the New York Times, who refused to cover the story initially out of friendship for President Joe. Even they acknowledge now, yes, the laptop and its contents are genuine. Yeah, but it's a nothing burger of a story for them. It's a nothing story. Just, okay, it's genuine, oh, yeah. but it, why you even bother talking about <laughs> corruption and the son, corruption and debauchery by yes. the president's son? <laughs> but uh, that, do, uh, that also implicates the president, of course. Exactly. It, it, I've got a little grab here we should play of Jacinta Price before she's banned from yes. this, any, every platform, including the swill. She's pointing out. If someone gets banned by us, that would be a low tech ban. It would be. (laughs) It wouldn't be big tech. It'd be small tech and low tech. It'd be like being banned from putting notices up at the supermarket. (laughs) It was taking on Penny Wong. And I think far from objecting to the voice, she's proposing that we expand this process of the voice to other groups of Australian citizens. Penny Wong, of course, foreign Mm. minister, Malaysian born. Australian, I think that's right. Should we have a listen to Jacinta's mm-hmm. proposal? I think I agree with it already, but yes, play it. Despite the fact that she lectures us on the floor of the Senate about what us Aboriginal folk really need, while simultaneously deriding me and our good friend and fellow hypocrite, Senator Thorpe, for calling Wong out for attempting to paint us both with the same brush because we're Aboriginal. I put it to Wong, I don't think she liked it very much, but I did put it to her at one point, that perhaps we need to co-design an Asian voice to Parliament. (laughs) So that policy that affects Asian Australians can be their responsibility. And any time I need expert advice on how to better improve Wong's life, I can just consult with the Asian voice. It's marvellous, isn't it? She, I, she just pinged it, I think, with that one quote showing the absurdity of it. I've crept on about having a craggy old pommy voice to Parliament to represent myself <laughs> and maybe a sort of bearded wild man from the country voice to represent you, Tim. But she <laughs> nailed it. In that one formulation, the Asian voice to Parliament, Jacinta has identified the madness of identity politics, the patronising attitude of the left towards especially Indigenous Australians, but by implication, all groups, because mm-hmm. if you identify one group as having universal thought patterns and beliefs and preferred outcomes, surely that applies to other races as well, which is what Jacinta has done there. Now, I just wonder how this would work in my own family. I might try to start up some sort of Blair Parliament with our various wings. We've got a Lebanese wing. We have a Singaporean wing. We've got a Baptist wing who we try to keep away because they're not big on a drink. We've got 
Scots Presbyterian kind of wing, very CV, of course, Italian wing. Let's get all their voices going at once. Mind you, they already do have voices, and some of them probably too prominent. But we could run that as a social experiment just within my own clan. Don't forget the chicken wing wing. Oh, yeah, the chicken wing wing. (laughs) Chicken wing. That's the wing of pain for you, Nick, but we'll get to that. It's it is it's brilliant work by Jacinta who sees these things brilliantly clearly and sees the absurdity of it. But I, it's not that absurd. Certainly this Labour government could do with a nation voice to Parliament that might tell it to stop penalising hard work, mm. increasing taxes and passing bowing to woke policies yes. that are profound, profoundly anti-family. I think that way they might actually be looking after the interests of uh, of the, and I'm sorry to generalise, but the people who come to Australia from Asia, almost always because they want to work hard, educate their families in a safe environment. And we seem to do our very best sometimes to make it hard for them. I would like to hear, Nick, the Asian voice to Parliament address Labor's attempt to scuttle the stage three tax cuts. I think the Asian voice, which we haven't heard from yet on this issue, might be very much in favour of retaining the stage three cuts in accordance, of course, with uh, Labor's promise before the election that they would uh, they would pursue that legislation. It was off the table. It was all a done deal. And uh, now we've got the situation where the Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, who doesn't enjoy the nickname Each Way Albo, although it is a very <laughs> deserved nickname because he does take multiple positions depending on various factors, including where he is at the time on such things as coal mining, for example. If he's in proximity of a coal mine, he's pro-coal mining. If he's in... Newtown, or if he's in Redfern, or if he's in Williamstown down in Melbourne, he's against coal mines. Anyway, if Labor, after the government pledged to maintain stage three tax cuts, if Labor goes against that, he's each way elbow forever from that point, isn't he? He's stuck with that. That is, that's his pig iron bob. He's not going to get away from that. Yeah, sadly, I think those tax cuts are going out the window because. Jim Chalmers could get up and kill this speculation any day he wants by just looking down the barrel of the camera and saying, we Mm. are keeping our election promise. The fact that he hasn't done that suggests that he's obviously got these in mind. Oh, it's gone, man. Looks like it's gone. Oh, well, that's right. Because Labour, let's face it, you know, um, they're good at many things, but uh, cutting spending is not one of them. They have an inveterate spending habit and, and whenever government services balloon in costs they just shrug their shoulders and say well that's the price we've got to pay another 12 percent on ndis so because of that they do have this aversion to cutting to cutting taxes as well really because they just can't bear the pain of not having the money to spend with their various supporters in the australian press you get a lot of people saying well how is it fair how is it fair nick mm. that people earning 150,000, whatever are getting tax cuts of substantial amounts under stage three. How is it fair when people earning less than 60000 are getting tax cuts that aren't as great? And the answer, obviously, is that people in the higher income brackets have been paying a great deal more tax for a hell of a lot more time than people in who are earning less. It's obviously fair to address that imbalance, which has only grown because of bracket creep and so on in the Mm. past decade Mm. and a half or so. Mm. And is it fair that so much of the tax burden be placed on people who don't actually access a lot of the services provided by those taxes? If you're going below 60 grand, the windows are open 
for many more advantages, many more benefits via the government, which are paid for by taxes. You go further below that, fairly quickly you hit a level where you're not actually paying any tax at all. Where it's all on the income side in terms of That's uh, right. how tax is helping you. That's right, and that group is growing. It's a juvenile first-year university kind of style of argument based on fairness. They don't understand what it means. <laughs> fairness, the Labor plea. But l- lest people think that we're just picking on Labor, we have our fights within Conservatives as well, don't we? I was in one... Yes, we l- do. I went last weekend. I was at that conference where Jacinta Price made that funny quip about the Asian voice. Uh, it was the Conservative Political Action Conference. Almost a thousand yeah, people CPAC. there, all identifying as conservatives. You'd think it would be just a one big slap on the back. Well done. Agree with you, country that sent. But it wasn't. I, I was chairing this session on Sunday afternoon when things got a bit hairy. Is the party an immutable force, and can people still actually get in and change it from within if they were committed? Well, I, to be frank, I don't know that the Liberal Party needs a whole lot of changing. It has profound. Yeah, come on. <laughs> I, I thought. I, hey, I thought, calm down, will you? I thought Let we were a conservative gathering. No worse than a socialist audience. Give me a I, chance to speak. I, I feel like I found myself on the set of Q and A. Come on, please allow Nick to finish what he's going to say. That was just part of it, Tim. It, went, I, it got worse after that one guy tried to storm the stage. He was so angry. Wow. So it was like the Oscars. Yeah, well, it shows that the Conservatives, at least they have robust debate. But I, I think the real lesson of that was, well, if you want to know what the 660,000 people who deserted the coalition between 2019 and this May look like, mm. they were the people in that room and they are very angry. And a lot of their anger involves around COVID, not exclusively, but that seems to be the major gripe that one way or another they mm. felt that they were hard done by during COVID, some of which was since fault, a lot of which wasn't, but they just take it out. And it's going to be very hard to win them back. And people say, well, we need to chase those teal seats. Come on. I mean, how many votes did we lose to teals compared to the large number across the country we lost to One Nation, UAP, etc.? They were the people there. and They're lovely. They're great people. They're honest, decent Australians, but they are very angry with mainstream politics. So did Nick Minchin need security to be ushered out of the event? Did it escalate? <laughs> I was worried. They just didn't give him time to finish. And he was, when he said he didn't think the Liberal Party should change, he meant, of course, its values, which I guess nobody thinks it should change yeah. its values. Why I think it was a bit hard on Nick was he stood up as one of the lone conservative voices on that side of politics for a long time. If it hadn't have been for Nick Minchin, yeah. Tony Abbott would never have been elected Prime Minister. So I think he feels a bit Good point. a bit upset to be uh, just a little bit... Settle mixed. down, you lot! Settle down! <laughs> yes. I haven't heard a Liberal crowd so vocal. So I think the last time was when Malcolm Turnbull claimed at some Liberal gathering or other that there was no such thing as factions in the Liberal Party. Oh, yeah, that went down well. <laughs> exactly the same kind of anger, but possibly more fairly directed at uh, our former Prime Minister, Mr Turnbull. Yes. But interesting, Tim, I mean, it was a great, if you're into the conservatism, which I guess you and I are sort of, it was mm. a great weekend, more than a thousand people there. Do you know they had Excellent. streaming live, at one point they had well over 200,000 people watching online. I thought, this is like midday That's Saturday or Sunday, apart from sport... 
What else would rate that number of views at the weekend on any channel, let alone the ABC? CPAC might not have to grow too much before it's threatening th things such as the AFL Grand Final, which I noticed ratings-wise was a big bust this year. Yeah, well, that's that's woke. I believe people are following my lead, Nick. I think it won't be long before CPAC is approached in a bidding war by the commercial TV networks to have them <laughs> on. You know. They'll be raking in several hundred million dollars. Yes. Who can shout at Nick Minchin the loudest? <laughs> yeah, they'll, they'll be like there should be like a draft and everything. A plucky youngster from Tasmania might get a speaking gig if he or she gets selected. Speaking of woke football, Tim, shouldn't we deal with the Essendon question? Yes, they don't like the Jesus. Andrew Thorburn mm. made CEO of, was he CEO of Essendon? For 30 hours. Because then they discovered, uh-oh, he's a Christian. Yes. And he goes to a church where a long time ago, 10 years ago, a pastor who he didn't know said something a bit unwoke about people who are good with colours, let's call them that, Yeah. and said that yeah. abortion was murder. Yes. I don't I mean, that may not be something that everybody agrees with, but it's hardly an unreasonable point of view to come to. Yeah, what did you make of that, Tim? Well, it's, it's edifying in one way. It's illustrative in one way. And it's a continuation of what we've seen where, for example, Islamic representatives in Australian Women's Rugby League have stood out from gay pride rounds and have been just, mm. oh, okay, that's okay, that's cool, we're fine with that. But if you're a Christian and you apply the same reasoning of faith over profession you're destroyed and this is what's happened to our 30-hour ceo of essendon once you open the door to woke you're in a lot of trouble because you have to bring in so many other other factors you can't close it no and mm. suddenly your ability to run in a capable way an afl team the business side of an afl team suddenly that's called into question because you attended a church that decades ago or a decade ago said something that, that the current wokes don't like Theology is not really a part of the job interview mix, I wouldn't have thought. That's woke for you. It's some suggestion that the woke brigade would have been fine if he'd gone to Brisbane because Christians should be thrown to the lions. <laughs> they really don't like Christianity, do they? Not the best joke, but a little That's one. A, it's good, it's good. <laughs> Trying to make light of this dire situation. Ghastly world that we're in, yes, indeed. But, uh, yeah, all this nonsense. But they, they all get themselves tied up, and we see it all the time with Elon Musk, the, who was adored because he was saving the planet with electric vehicles, and then demonised because it might still go through this Twitter purchase after bouncing back and forth for a while. And uh, the Twitter left. Man, are they upset. They're, they're petrified about people speaking on that platform who they don't agree with. And now they're saying it openly. If Elon Musk allows people to have free speech on Twitter... It could threaten the midterms. Threaten as in allow people to have a democratic discussion about the issues and the people involved. That's called threatening now. Actually getting the vote out is threatening. It could threaten the triumphant progress of the unimpeachable, literally unimpeachable Biden government. They've done so much for America. As I said, since I came to office, our economy has created... 10 million jobs, 668 manufacturing jobs, 
Hang on, what was that? 668 manufacturing jobs. That was the president earlier this week. 668. That's a lot of jobs, Tim. You've got to admit in a country of, what, 300 million people? 668 jobs over his term in office works out to 1.06 jobs per day. This guy is a powerhouse. Nothing can stop Joe from turning the US around. No. And when he talks about these 10 million jobs overall, those are just people who've gone back to work after COVID. Come on. Everyone knows it. Stop lying, Joe. Crazy old man. When you say 668 jobs... It's very specific. What's that? One point... What was you making? 1.06 per day, by my, my reckoning. Some might scoff, Tim, but that 1.06 person would be very pleased to be back in a job. And making something. We're standing in front of this side saying, made in America. <laughs> as if there was some great manufacturing revival over there. I hope not, actually, with the trouble I'm having with that Jeep that I got, 20-year-old Jeep <laughs> Cherokee. It does strike me that American manufacturing standards are rather overrated. Sometimes, certainly in some sectors. But if Joe is now saying that he's created 668, very specific number, manufacturing jobs... Let's put all those people on one stage. They could fit. He could. He probably knows them by name. Oh, actually, he doesn't know anything by name. He forgets everything. He forgets that people have died. Remember recently, a week or so ago, he was asking where a certain legislator was, and, of course, this person had died some months earlier. The guy just is so well out of it that not even his protectors are really trying that hard anymore. Let's just hear him again in case we got that number wrong. As I said, since I came to office, our economy has created... 10 million jobs, 668 manufacturing jobs. Yeah, 668. Yeah, it was, Tim, but... I, that was two days ago, so it's now 670 on his current rate. Two things here which you see common between the Democrats and Labor here. They persist with this myth that government can actually create jobs yes. rather than kill other jobs by employing too many public servants. Governments don't actually create jobs. It's the private sector economy that creates jobs are actually going to add some productive value to the economy yeah but it's a great labor myth isn't it left wing the other is that very specific promise 668 jobs it just reminds me of albanese promising he'd reduce electricity bills by 275 dollars not 275 dollars and 20 cents mm. or 268 dollars 90 it, it 275 it's very specific because if you put that number up of course you are bound to fail yes and they've thrown up the towel they've realized they can't actually reduce electricity prices at all quite the opposite from my experience yeah and i think we're going to be looking at a bit more of that as well it's especially if we um not that we ever want to do this but if we go down the european path on power we're in a lot of trouble my friend do you want to talk about europe why not it's a hellhole it's got no redeeming features it seems to fit the pattern at the moment i love how people are surprised that europe is going to the right in sweden for example in italy well of course that's what they mm. what you do when you Absolutely. want things fixed europe's been in left-wing coast mode for 20 years because hey it's all going okay it's mm. all cool let's just drift along and that's what you do when there's plenty of money floating around and you can afford to indulge on the tax side a bit when you want to fix things, it's a universal democratic, in democratic nations, a universal impulse that you also, you always yeah. get things repaired by the right. When it's fixed, you hand it back to the left so the situation can corrode again and then it swings back around. It would be wonderful if it, in our lifetimes, Nick, if we got to a situation where 
conservative governments that did all the hard stuff, did all the rebuilding of economies, and during that process, obviously, alienated some groups who lost funding and so on. But that's mm. what you have to do to mm. rebuild economies that are hurt. It'd be great if we one day rewarded governments for that, maybe a bit more. <laughs> like, mm, good job, well done. Be good, wouldn't it? Uh, th- yeah, yeah. And of course, the left never returned the same courtesy. Occasionally, not so occasionally, a, a conservative government can mess things up. But the courtesy. left never seemed to want to bother about yeah. fixing it up afterwards. It's a bit like the politics of the nursery, isn't it? Like the kids, you should finally got the kids off to bed. You have to go around and tidy up all the toys. That's what being an incoming centre-right mm. political leader is like. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Fix a few broken ones. Liz Truss gave Truss. her uh, uh, her opening keynote address to the Conservative Party conference in Birmingham. Two things I noticed. One was that she has yep. trouble with Birmingham. letter R. So she talks about Britain and Ukraine. And it, after a while, it becomes Uh-oh. quite annoying. It became quite annoying 30 years ago when there was a young one's character used to speak like that. Oh, that's right. Yes. Rick from the young one was always, yes, which is possibly the least powerful public speaker I've ever heard, number one, who has been a, who's risen to the heights of a, a leader of a serious mm. country like Britain. Are you putting her in the Kamala Harris League, Nick, already? Not quite. I don't think she fumbles her words. Are you saying she's a less impressive speaker than Kamala? She had some good punchlines in that speech. She just fluffed all of them, didn't really deliver them properly. The other thing was, what on earth is going on with the British police? Mm. As she left the building, I think I counted eight Range Rovers and an ambulance in the entourage that follows her around. So worried are mm. they about security. But somehow, a couple of Greenpeace protesters managed to get in the room and hold up some mm. inane banner. <laughs> it just seemed to be a little bit of a breach of security there. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't the British coppers, who are always very vigilant online, I think last week we had a case where a woman was barged in on by the police, taken to the police station, accused of hate crimes online, and uh, she was confronted with evidence of her wrongdoing. And she said, no, I didn't post that. It was someone else. <laughs> I noticed that the Australian Republican movement has now taken mm-hmm. a huge leap forward. This should concern us deeply as monarchists, Nick, because they've got the massive boost of Peter Fitzsimons resigning. He's not going to stand again as the chair of the Australian Republican movement. And we have depended on this fact, depended on his presence. It is, it's a very, it now presents a great danger because whoever replaces him will present the case more compellingly. No one could do a, no one has been more of a friend to the monarchist movement than Peter Fitzsimons, especially in his role as the ARM head gob. Now that he's gone, this opens up a world of danger. Well, it's always possible they might find an equally arrogant nincompoop to replace him, but I can't actually think of one. Exactly. Where would you go? Where would you look? Where? Almost impossible, right? They will find someone with... An absurd ego, because the mm. role demands it. You're an individual Australian who thinks that you should have the power to change the Constitution in its most fundamental way. You've got to have something of an ego issue to imagine yourself in that yeah. role. 
and look at the people who've previously been in that role. Malcolm Turnbull is another great example. People who think they're so massively important and powerful that they can exact these changes. The great thing about Fitzsimons was that he was such a clownish figure that even people who deeply agree with the Republican movement, I'm talking about people like Chris Kenny, they would they could not have a bar of it. They could not be on the same side as Peter Fitzsimons because to do so would be to would be a mark of disrespect for yourself, Nick. You, people just mm. could not do mm. it. But whoever replaces him, they'll do a better job. They could replace him with a cardboard box. I'm looking at thousands of them right now because I've recently moved house. Those boxes, just in and of themselves, silently, could present a better and more uh, more convincing case for the Republic than anything with a bandana on top of its stupid bonce, don't you reckon? I think we've grown up enough as a nation. We are grown up. We to shake off the apron strings. We need a we need an Australian as head of the Australian Republican movement, don't you think? Fitzsimons may <laughs> well, say Fitzsimons was Australian. He may say that, but they've been demanding an Australian head of state. Yeah. Whereas I think eleven out of the last twelve governor generals have been Australian. Like we haven't had a non-Australian since the mm. early nineteen seventies. Yes, I think so. If they can make that a point I think we should make it a point back to them it's only right and proper that every Australian child that, should dream be able to dream of mm. one day being the head of the Australian Republican movement nobody should be barred from that job by nature of their birth <laughs> no I think Australia's a mature enough nation to accept that we are a constitutional monarchy yes I agree let's turn it around to that Instead of demanding that we be a republic, we've got to be mature and aware and as self-confident as we can be to acknowledge that, yes, Australia is a constitutional monarchy. And we don't step back from that. We're Not quite proud of it. Not just acknowledge, but be proud and delighted that we had that gift, don't we? We're one of two, oh, a potent two gift. continents Absolutely. in the entire world that haven't had a civil war. Us and Antarctica. I'll put that down to the Constitution. Very quickly, Tim, I have to go for another appointment. But Alma is a lesbian, you tell me. Mm. I don't know where you got that scurrilous rumour from. Perhaps you'd like to. Oh, it's not a rumour. I don't deal in scuttlebutt. It's not... all solid. This is. You'll remember the plain, the plain oh, girl yes. from the Scooby Doo gang? Yes. Wore the turtlenecks yes. and the big That's bottle right. glasses. Yeah, she's a lesbian, mate. She's a lesbian. Yeah, this is a, the New York Times celebrated the fact that the script of a new Scooby Doo movie confirms that Valma Dinkley, yeah, no, no one ever knew her surname, Valma Dinkley, the cerebral mystery solver with the ever present orange turtleneck, is canonically a lesbian. Canonically. Canonically! A lesbian. Lesbians are a bit old hat these days, aren't they? Don't you have to be yeah. I'm not sure. transgender or something? Isn't that the thing? No, let's see what they've got planned for Scooby. Scooby <laughs> might be off to the vet soon. Okay, so Scooby the trans Yeah, hound. that's right. But here's the thing. According to one website I'm looking at here, let's see. Google, we were talking about big tech before. Google is thrilled about this news as well. When users search Google for Velma, an avalanche of pride flags plasters computer screens. So yay for Velma. And this further from the New York Times... According to the Times, uh, Valma's appearance in the new movie is the first time the long-running franchise openly acknowledged her sexuality, thrilling some fans who were disappointed that it took so long. 
what the hell are they talking about? Like, it's a cartoon. <laughs> None of them have sexual qualities or... We don't, we've never known of any of the other characters. What's Shaggy? What is Shaggy besides a dumb stoner who somehow, unlike every other stoner you've met in your life, can occasionally solve problems? <laughs> your memory of the... What, what are you going to learn about the rest of these characters? Only one of them is a sexual being. Your memory of the plot lines... Only one of them is a sexual being and it's a turtleneck lesbian chick. Your memory of the characters and plot lines <laughs> in this ancient... <laughs> children's cartoon series is worrying me Tim yep (laughs) (laughs) you got to stay alert with current trends especially when those current trends are from 1968 I think that's when around about probably when the series began I don't know but I think we could all look forward to not looking forward to that yes indeed there's better things to think about from your remote new movie hideout there in remote regional Australia far inland (laughs) keep people guessing Well, that's it, Tim. Don't forget, you can email us at nick at theswill.com. And uh, don't forget, how many stars is it, Tim? Five, six? Anyway, lots of them, because those algorithms are aided. Minimum of eight. The algorithms need to be persuading. We'll talk again next week, Tim. Every American and LBJ is with Australia all the way. Australia is the best place in the world to bring up a family. But we will decide who comes to this country and the circumstances in which they come. How good is Australia? (laughs) 